0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Whole Tooth, a podcast all about sharks, rays and their underwater habitat, brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. I'm your host, Isla, and every episode we address a different topic or question that you want to know about with the help of experts in shark science and conservation. Now, we talk about science and research a lot on this podcast, but it's definitely not the only part of shark conservation. In fact, the conservation of any species or habitat is a little bit like a jigsaw puzzle. It's lots of different pieces that all fit together to make one big picture. Some of those pieces are science, some involve practical work on the ground, and others are focused on how to communicate and engage people. The arts in their many forms are part of that big puzzle. They help people to see things in a different way and communicate conservation issues in a way that is accessible and easy to take on board, as our guest today speaks so eloquently about. The Save Our Seas Foundation has worked with a number of artists over the last two decades to help spread knowledge and support for sharks and the issues they face to wider audiences. And today I am speaking with ocean artist and shark advocate Rachel Brooks of Rachel Brooks Art about how art can contribute to shark conservation. Rachel is an internationally selling wildlife artist specializing in scientific illustrations of marine life, particularly sharks. She has worked with a number of shark-focused organizations including Saving the Blue and Shark Guardian. She aims to use her art as a way to generate support for sharks and other marine life by celebrating its intricacies and its beauty. And she talks in this episode about the thought process behind some of her pieces. Rachel also has a bachelor's degree in zoology and has eight years of experience as a scooper instructor and guide. We discuss in this episode how those two worlds come together in her art, as well as how she uses her knowledge of the underwater world to inform her social media content, including campaigns like Living Not Lurking, which aims to combat the negative rhetoric about sharks in the mass media. I am lucky enough to count Rachel as a very good friend and we were actually able to record this in person from her art studio so we were surrounded by her beautiful paintings as we talked which felt very very special and who knows maybe this episode is the soundtrack to you at home doing something creative whether that's as a hobby in your spare time or as your job if it is please do let us know we would love to hear from you. Um, But without further ado, let's dive in to our episode. Rachel Brooks, hello and welcome back to the Whole Tooth podcast. Hello,
1: thank you for having me back.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're the first return guest, so... Quite an honour, I must say.
1: I do feel very special. <laughs>
0: Thank you. <laughs> you should. Well, for those of you who listen regularly, you might recognise Rachel's voice from the Baskin Shock episode that we did way back in. I think it was October
1: last yeah, year. last winter.
0: Yeah, it was September October when we just got back. And um, because that is how I met Rachel was through Baskin Shock Scotland and um, and the work that we do together there um but we are not here today well I'm sure Baskin sharks will make an appearance there is a massive painting of a Baskin shark right behind your head right now lurking behind me living not lurking actually I think you'll find swimming peacefully behind me um but we are in your art studio because we are going to talk today about something a little bit different for the podcast which is how art can help shark conservation because you are an ocean artist, which we are going to talk about throughout this podcast. Um, But first, we like to get to know you a little bit better. Um, So usually, I start off the podcast by asking people what their most memorable experience in the ocean is, but you've already answered that question, um, so for those of you who haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to our Baskin Shark episode to find out what Rachel's most memorable experience is. Uh, so we're going to tweak it a little bit, and we're going to talk about this summer, um, because the pair of us have just got back from Baskin Shark season, we're fresh off the sea, um, and I wanted to know, what was your most memorable experience from this Season?
1: Oh, it's uh, a tough one. So, the moment I said on um, our first episode is definitely still my most favorite experience I've had at sea. Uh, but we did have some awesome days this year as well that are hard to pick from. But I think my favorite has to be the return of Ariel. Oh, because <laughs> <laughs> we spend pretty much all winter asking each other do you think Ariel will be in call again and if you don't have a clue what we're talking about right <laughs> I was gonna say I don't <laughs> think we've mentioned Ariel yet, so Ariel is the most friendly grey seal I think either of us have ever met and she just stole the heart of everyone in the company and everyone who came to visit and it was wonderful and um, I've never had an interaction with an animal who was so proactively seeked out interaction with me. We were swimming together, I remember, at the bay that we used to find her. And all of a sudden, she just came speeding over, jumping onto the fins of one of our customers, just the same as she was last summer, like no time had passed at all. And it was just like seeing an old friend. (laughs) Like It was so lovely to see her again and yeah, Ariel's are real special animal. seals are really cool to swim with and mm-hmm. that was just awesome and I got to share it with you I know <laughs> I know that was really lovely yeah
0: she's definitely the most inquisitive seal that I've ever encountered uh-huh. under the water like we're talking fully grabbing onto your fins and
1: not letting go <laughs> not letting go <laughs> yeah. and like
0: actively seeking out interactions with humans and and do you want to explain why she's called Ariel? It's quite topical for Oh
1: yeah. No well because she's named after the little mermaid because she wants to be where the people are.
0: She really, really does. Um and I'm very excited to see The Little Mermaid, the new live action but that's a whole other topic. (laughs) Um But when did you start to develop a passion for the underwater world?
1: That's a strange one, because I didn't grow up by the coast. I grew up in the Pennines in the northwest of England. And so I've always lived in the countryside and always been around nature, but the ocean wasn't a big part of my life growing up. Mm -hmm. And it was always this very far off like, mystical place that you'd watch on nature documentaries, and I was always really fascinated by it. But my experiences there were just limited to holidays. And I always remember really enjoying being by the sea, but it wasn't until I got older that it became a much more integral part of my life. When I was 15, I went to the Red Sea with my mum, and that's when I first tried diving and that was a real game changer (laughs) so I mean going from Lancashire to diving in the Red Sea like blew my mind um, completely and the coral life there is just incredible and I yeah fell in love with the diving but being 15 learning to dive by myself because my mum is actually petrified of putting her face in the water. (laughs) And none of my other family members seem to have this ocean bug that I've got. (laughs) Yeah.
0: We've had we've had quite a few people on this podcast who've had very similar experiences. Mm. Um so Jada Elcock was one of them, um, because she grew up quite far away from the sea. Um and it must feel like all of a sudden it hits you at once and then you Mm. that whole world has opened up to you when you first either learn how to dive or you know get to the sea or something like that and then it's obviously been a passion that's you know continued throughout your life um but can you remember as well so obviously you've got your passion for the ocean but you've also got your passion and talent for art as well but can you remember sort of when you realized that a you were passionate about art and b that it was kind of something that you were that you were good at
1: so that's the opposite I guess. I think I've always known I was good at art. <laughs> so <laughs> from a very early age I always remember drawing um, right the way through school and it was always something I excelled at. I was never really into the science side of it at that age <laughs> at all and <laughs> that came a lot later.
0: Did you? Um, did you always like draw wildlife and animals then? Or what were some of your kind of earliest artworks like?
1: I've definitely always liked drawing wildlife and animals. Um, never particularly people or portraiture. Um, but originally, when I was younger, I really loved drawing Disney characters. And uh-huh. um, And for a long time, that was a big dream of mine, was to animate for Disney. And I remember watching Finding Nemo. And I think, if you look at Finding Nemo compared to the earlier Pixar films, it is just another world. (laughs) Yeah. And Uh I remember watching that and... Just being mind blown by like the art in it and being like that's been created by someone that's incredible mm-hmm. and it really brings that environment to life.
0: And Finding Nemo as well is like a really good example of somewhere that kind of like art and marine biology meet because uh-huh. it is actually I mean aside from the fact that they
1: the anatomy fish thing
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> some of some of it is. Pretty.
1: (laughs) Some of it is quite accurate. I think it's great. It really shows how much diversity there is in the ocean. Mm -hmm. There's all these. I think when they're on the coral reef and you see how busy it is and full of life, like it's it's really like that. Yeah, it's Uh awesome, and they've captured it so well. Yeah, love that film.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is great, but that's exactly what I think when I'm diving and I see wildlife I imagine it like that I imagine that that Mm -hmm. that's what's happening and they all have their different roles and yeah um and you and I have talked before about how you nearly went to study art at university and then you switched to zoology if I get that right um but what made you make that switch
1: Uh uh-huh so I'd already done my AS levels by this point so the first year of college, um, and it's the time where you're 17, and everyone's throwing all these questions to you about what you're going to do with the rest mm-hmm. of your life, and it's super <laughs> it's stressful. <horrible. laughs> so I, I, looking back now, I really feel for people at that age, because you just can't be expected to know what you want to do with your life at 17. Yeah.
0: But there will be people listening who are in that exact frame of mind
1: if you're listening right now, um, you're gonna be fine <laughs> so, it's gonna be okay, it'll yeah. be okay. <laughs> um and yeah as I said I'd always been into art I knew I was good at art and to me that just seemed like the natural choice of things to do and I was at that time going to pursue um a career in animation so first I would do an art foundation year and I'd already looked at universities for that and I'd already started my UCAS application for that. Mm-hmm. And then um someone came into our sixth form and did a seminar from a organization called the Atlantic Well Foundation. Mm. And they're an organization who are based in the Canary Islands and they were doing research predominantly on the resident bottlenose, I think, and pilot whales that you found there and also the migrating species too. I think it was a third of all whale species would migrate through that area. Wow! So it's a really cool place to be. Um, so they came and did this talk and I've always been really captivated by whales and so I went home and told my parents I wanted to go So they're like, that's fine, but, you know, you're going to have to pay for that. (laughs) So me and my friend, who I managed to convince to go on this adventure with, um, fundraised the whole thing for us to go and spend a month um, on this project. So off we went and we were the youngest there, I think. Um, Most people were already at university or doing master's theses and we were just two very enthusiastic (laughs) 17 year olds (laughs) who were just so excited to be a part of it. Happy to be there. It's just so happy to be there Uh, probably not contributing quite as much as everyone else. You are contributing in enthusiasm in enthusiasm but yeah (laughs) and it was just such a positive environment to be in Because I think there was up to 60 volunteers and there was people from all over the world um, and they'd all come here for this common purpose and everyone had this shared passion for conservation, for cetaceans, and it just blew my mind completely. as I said, most of them were doing some sort of postgraduate research. And I don't think I even knew that that was a topic you could study in the UK. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. when I was that age, I thought, if you're a marine biologist, you had to live in, like, Australia or something. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I thought the exact same, no exact one tells same thing. You that. no No, no, no. Yeah. So
1: I don't remember at our school that ever being discussed as a career option. Yeah. I Same for zoology. And then, um, yeah, it just really... Like flicked a switch in me, so I went back, went into school during the summer holidays to try and convince my teacher to let me switch all my A level subjects so I could apply to zoology, uh-huh. um, which they were quite reluctant to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. But by the power of persuasion, I managed to switch them round. So I could study biology because biology was the minimum of what I needed to Mm -hmm. be able to do zoology at uni. And then I went to Leeds to study zoology the year after, which was my first choice for uni. So that all surprisingly... (laughs) worked out
0: and then after university you worked in the dive industry for quite a long time Uh and there is you know quite a big element of that still in your career now you're the operations manager for Baskinshot Scotland we do a lot of that kind of stuff in the water with people now and and obviously you said when you were 15 you were you tried your first dive but why did diving become you know, so important to you?
1: So after uni, I started travelling and I ended up in Australia. Um, and very quickly decided I wanted a way to work and travel. And I wanted to work in the dive industry. Um, and I got myself a dive master traineeship on a wreck called the Young Gala in Queensland, and guided that for a year. and. That was incredible. Um, It's situated pretty much halfway between the Great Barrier Reef and the estuary, so you just get this huge congregation of life, um, which is just surrounded by sand flats and everything's huge, so you just get all this crazy pelagic stuff going on and doing that every day for nearly a year. I just completely fell in love with that (laughs) as a job Um, and I was so hooked on it and doing that for a year I then decided I'd love to be able to teach people to dive um, because I was enjoying the guiding aspect of it and maybe working with less experienced divers and so the year after I became a diving instructor and I've been working in that field now for eight years. I find diving to be really therapeutic, I think I'm someone who really struggles to switch off Um, and diving kind of forces you to like really be in the moment Mm -hmm. and really take in your surrounds and concentrate on what you're doing and breathe deeply and slowly and I find the whole thing very calming and just being away from everything else on land, like technology and phones and everything else you're meant to be doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just an, an hour or so of just peace. It's been such a big part of my life now for like my whole 20s pretty much that I couldn't imagine not doing it in the future. How does
0: diving then play a role in your art? Because, like you said, it's such. I'm sure I definitely resonate with what you say about diving, how it makes you feel, and I'm sure mm-hmm. a lot of people listening will resonate with that as well. And um, but how do you kind of how do those two worlds kind of come together
1: for you? So I think as a diver yourself, you'll appreciate that when you're diving and you're looking at something, you get a whole different perspective of that Mm -hmm. than just seeing it from a picture or um, a video. Like, you can see how it moves, you can hear sounds that you might not have known happened, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the colours are just so much more vibrant than you can really imagine. And it's, like, seeing the behaviours of things as well. So you become kind of part of that little world for the time that you're there. And it's interesting to be a visitor somewhere like that and just watch it all happening. Yeah. Um, and very much know that you're not part of it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just so different to what's happening on the land that it's just fascinating. Like, every little nook and cranny you look into there's life happening everywhere and I just find that is just so inspiring and seeing those things up close and seeing all the details in them and how they move makes me want to share that I guess with others because that's what I have been doing that's been my job for like Mm. my whole professional life has been introducing people to the ocean and trying to find cool stuff to show them yeah. and make them interested in like these crazy little shrimps or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's still part of me that wants to be doing that. Yeah. Um. And like, this is just a different outlet to do it, I guess, and it's a way to reach people who might have no interest in going underwater themselves and seeing those things but they are interested in what lives there and they'd want to know more about it but I
0: guess it can it can work the opposite way around as well so like mm-hmm. people who people want to go in the water because of the things that they you know like the art that you produce like they'll see something and they'll kind of go I didn't know that existed
1: mm-hmm.
0: that is amazing that's so cool I want to see that for myself Um, I've, I've heard that happen before um, but you know, speaking about your art, can you tell us a little bit more about your artwork? So, is there mm-hmm. a typical subject that you that you draw, or um, what kind of like medium do you work with, like that kind of thing?
1: Yeah. Um. So for the past th- two years now, I've been working as a professional illustrator. Um. Which. I just absolutely adore. Um, so I basically draw almost exclusively marine life, <laughs> but um, and in ink usually too. So my illustrations are mostly scientific style, um, quite detailed. I really like using fine liners because it allows you to capture a lot of those small details that are the things that I think make all these different animals so interesting Mm -hmm. it's all their little quirks and markings and patterns and things um and I also use watercolors a lot as well so I usually mix those mediums and I add color into my ink work um a lot so I do use other mediums occasionally I do paint occasionally too but um, mostly pen drawings that's mm-hmm. what I do.
0: Something that you've been doing a lot, I think, particularly over the last year, is sharks and specialising in sharks, particularly in, you know, showcasing different species and things. Um, and I just wondered, you know, when did sharks first come into your artwork? When did you first start to draw them?
1: Yeah, so when I first started out, I, I really didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. i come home from... <laughs> living in Indonesia and just felt a little bit lost <laughs> um, yeah. I came back to the UK just knowing I wanted to pursue art as a career having not had any formal art education and never really running a business before but I just felt that's what I wanted to be doing <laughs> so I just started drawing things and some of the first things I drew were my photos from traveling so I was drawing octopus from Lembe uh, the green turtles from there too more well-known things I guess things that I thought people would like to see like mm-hmm. mantas and whale sharks and yeah um so the whale shark was probably the first shark I drew from memory and then, I definitely drew a Baskin shark as soon as I got my job at Baskin Shark (laughs) (laughs) School. Makes sense. (laughs) Um, And the great white because they're just I guess the most iconic iconic shark you could draw. Mm -hmm. Um, But again I still I think for a long time was trying to people please I guess. Mm. Um, Until I decided to just draw what I wanted to draw. Um, and that's when I think my art really excelled. Um, because I definitely like the weird and wonderful when it comes Mm. to marine life. Um, I lived in the Lambay Straits for a year. And yeah, I love the weird. Looking stuff you find when you look hard enough in the sea, and the sea is full of it. <laughs> um, so, I wanted to draw those things, like you don't often see, like a hairy frogfish on someone's wall. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, I would love a hairy frogfish on well, my wall. I'll draw me, you but... a hairy
0: frogfish for your wall. But, um... thank you. <laughs> but yeah,
1: I agree. Like most people.
0: Uh, yeah a lot of people don't know this stuff exists full stop let oh, alone yeah, that totally. you can get artwork of it
1: and it's hard to remember that sometimes I remember asking someone I think it was on one of my Instagram posts like what's your favorite species of octopus and I remember one of my family friends being like I didn't know there was more than one species of <laughs> yeah. octopus uh-huh. and you just take things for granted sometimes and um, when you've spent so much time in that environment yeah but then uh, I guess that comes again into sharks, I don't think people appreciate how species-rich sharks are and how diverse they are and how many different ones they are. And I'm not sure how it actually came about, but I just started drawing different shark species and people really seemed to resonate with it. Mm. And I kind of just found myself finding more sharky people. through Instagram mostly and building this kind of shark loving community through my work which kind of just carried on. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting and then I get people commenting on my posts all the time be like can you draw this shark whom and- that shark. Happy. Yeah, like, I would love to draw every shark, but <laughs> that's like a lifetime of work. I
0: think. it's yeah, like. <laughs> but you'd. The annoying thing about well, not the annoying thing, but like the thing about that would be is that you would, you you probably like think you'd finished and you put the pen down. Oh, you be yeah. like ah. And then Dave Ebert would appear with, like, a brand new shark that he's just discovered, and he'd be like, oh, okay. Um, Because we're discovering new ones, like, literally every, like, every week, like, as we speak, there's new species of sharks. It's insane. And you started doing, like, really creative pieces as well. So, you know, not just the kind of, you know, tiger, here's a tiger shark, but you've also done, like, compilation pieces where you've got uh, you know multiple different sharks that represent yeah. a certain group or um
1: I really like that classic style of scientific illustration that's mm. like really like vintage like from when they were first describing species I think it's so interesting how connected art and science actually are like, if you look back for all those records, and still today, like, a lot of scientific illustrations still used in papers because yeah. there might not be photos of things, or because it's easier to show the thing that you're wanting to portray yeah. by having it drawn. Yeah. And it's still a huge, hugely important uh, part. So I really like that that ties in to my degree, and yeah, I it makes me it's the sort of things I'd like to look at after a dive, I'd like to come out and find the ID charts and then pour through them and find what Mm -hmm. I've seen. So I really like them and that's, I decided to start putting my illustrations into those sort of art prints. I've got a small selection of all the sharks that exist (laughs) and I want to (laughs) keep building on that I guess. I want to keep going. Yeah, I'll be busy. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Oh, of course you will. Yeah. What I wanted to talk to you about today is something that you've you've got a section on your website about it and you talk about it quite a lot which is uh, artivism so yeah kind of a play on activism I guess mm-hmm. um but I just wondered to quite I imagine a lot of our listeners haven't really heard about this before maybe they've heard about it and they kind of don't know what it is and I wondered if you could or how would you define artivism
1: yep so, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with it being a bit of a play on words of activism. So, mm-hmm. essentially, that's exactly what it is. It's activism through art, whether that be like my work is conservation based, but you'll find other people using artivism for like socio political issues as well. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's a way of expressing yourself um, through art. And I think for me, that's the best way I can express myself. Um, If you've listened to me rambling on for the past (laughs) however long, (laughs) I'm not the most eloquent person. Um... (laughs) (laughs) But I think I'm very passionate and that can be a downfall for me sometimes when I'm trying to express myself is I can get a bit hot-headed and I find it hard to... Communicate something I feel so strongly about without just getting mad. (laughs) Especially when it's topics like big topics like conservation based things, climate change based things, shark finning, you know. I can give it a much more thought out approach if I'm doing it through art. Uh, One of the pieces I created professionally, I guess it was the first, um, was I've called it the Anthropocene. And it's again, it was an idea I'd had for a really long time. And I was not sure if I should make it or not because I felt it was a bit, not controversial, but I think when you imagine art, you imagine art should be beautiful. and if you're making a piece that's based about climate change it's not a beautiful subject so it's always going to be a bit jarring or hard Mm. to look at but i wanted to create something that wasn't i wanted to create something that people would look at and like get sucked into i guess and see the message Mm. so i that's when i made that hourglass piece um and some of the messages I got from it were really lovely. Like, um, I was going to say people messaged me saying that, like, they'd cried after seeing it, which I, obviously I don't want to make people cry. But when your art um, gives such a strong emotional reaction to people, that's, like, as an artist, that's an amazing thing to achieve. Uh-huh. Um, so I think, like, art and photography and all that kind of story, like visual storytelling is so important. Um, Mm -hmm. because it's a way of communicating with such a wide audience, like there's no language barriers there, art's just, um, like a universal language, Mm -hmm. basically, everyone can see and appreciate, um, art in that way. Mm -hmm. And it provokes a lot of thought and it's a great conversation starter. So I think it's really important using art in in that way um, and for me that's yeah in wildlife conservation is exactly what I wanted to be working in so
0: yeah well I mean like as a scientist like we might be you know we might be good at getting the data and we might even be good at you know talking about it mm-hmm. but there's something so different to you know telling someone something yeah and something very like you said, very jarring, like a st- mm-hmm. st- statistic or whereas art, it's a bit more approachable in a way. like.
1: Yeah, it kind of lets people come to their own conclusion rather yeah. than you giving it to them. I think when you look at an image and you, you think and you get to a point yourself rather than having that point like delivered to you directly... Mm-hmm. I think it does create a bit more thought and the the sad reality is people don't want to hear the facts. No. They <laughs> they don't want to be told. Uh, so it's like these creative ways of talking to people without I guess pushing things on them. It I think yeah. art you're trying to bring people to you more so, mm-hmm. like to explore what you've made and Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And if we translate that to sharks. Mm-hmm. How do you think? I guess it's probably quite a similar answer, but how do you think that art can help to contribute to shark conservation specifically?
1: I think, um, art, and again, um, like any visual media, is really powerful. Um, and the majority of things we see about sharks in the media is not great, um, especially in the UK, where they're just portrayed as these monsters lurking off our shores, waiting for unsuspected swimmers uh, to come in and take a munch out of. It's literally like,
0: the way that they're described is like, they're literally waiting oh, for yeah. us to get in the water. And then as uh-huh. soon as a human gets in the water, they're like, we must go there. It's
1: time. Amazing. <laughs>
0: Yum yum, dinner's already.
1: Yeah. So one of our basking shark videos was just shared by the sun, and they described the basking shark as creeping. <laughs> like, all it was doing was creeping around the ocean, <laughs> waiting for us. Anyone's ever... Like, we swam with a
0: lot of basking sharks, and I would never describe their behaviour as, as creeping. Like, it's it's a very...
1: No. No, it's
0: They're definitely not putting that much thought into it
1: it's painful (laughs) painful but that is unfortunately what most people see is those stories and they have very little exposure to sharks other than that Mm -hmm. um so I just want to share just the opposite of that I want to share how beautiful sharks are how interesting they are how important they are um and if you look at sharks and how different they are they are stunning. Like, all these different patterns and colours, it's mind-blowing. Like, sharks are incredible, and they're different reproductive methods. Like, there's so much variety, mm-hmm. and there's so much more than just the jaws effect that, like, I want to showcase that. And I think most people haven't heard of all these little tiny sharks that we have that rest on the bottom of the seabeds. So yeah, I think for me, I want to just showcase sharks and get people knowing more about them. And so through my posts, if I share a post about a species, I'll try and put a fact file together and share something interesting about them as well. Mm -hmm. So I want to get that across too. I want people to be interested in them because having an interest in something is just so important when it comes to conservation People aren't going to be interested in conserving a species they A don't know exists or B don't think's worth saving. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think in that way we need to get more people interested in sharks and it's definitely a great way to start that and start conversations. Mm-hmm.
0: And you started doing uh, some of your own campaigns as well. So one mm-hmm. of them is living, not lurking. So I thought it's quite a good segue into that because you were talking about the basking sharks and them being described as like creeping sort of <laughs> yeah. thing.
1: That's probably one of the more <laughs> lighter ones uh-huh. that they've been. <laughs> yeah, the creeping basking shark. They're,
0: they're <laughs> always. It is true. They're always described as like lurking or like lying in wait
1: monstrous like it's really toxic language when we're thinking about a species that's already really heavily persecuted and for the most part quite feared by the public and Mm. the media just love to predate on that fear (laughs) more so than the shark I was gonna say the media
0: the media is lurking away there in the background waiting for something to happen waiting
1: to catch a good shark story Uh and (laughs) I'm over it I'm so over it every article that comes out it's just the same rubbish and again it's going back to the messaging I want people to know that that isn't anywhere near scientifically true. Mm-hmm. And they that no, like that's a really beautiful animal that's vital to our ecosystem and is really heavily threatened by human activity. That's the story that we're not seeing. So yeah, The Living Not, not Lurking came from some of the articles that were published this summer in the UK. And I really want to develop that into a campaign basically about what we've just discussed like creating a more positive portrayal of sharks Mm -hmm. and uh reaching more people with that so that's really something i'm hoping to develop in the future Mm -hmm.
0: but aside from like your own campaigns you've also worked with some really cool shark focused organizations like Mm -hmm. saving the blue for one and shark Guardian, shark guardian as well um So how, because I know there might be people listening who maybe like you have a passion for art, have a passion for ocean conservation, maybe don't know kind of how this sort of thing works. Yeah. So how do these kind of collaborations sort of
1: come about? Um, I've been quite lucky, I guess, in that sense that um, the Shark Guardian um, opportunity was I think last year they were doing their eco artist of the month Mm -hmm. and they showcased a different artist who was mostly focusing on sharks um and did like a month-long showcase of them on their social media and that was really cool there was some really awesome artists involved you should definitely head back through that and check out everyone's work but I guess from that I think I reached a lot of other people in that same field. And Saving the Blue, um, I met Annie and Tristan actually, I guided them on a two week expedition when (laughs) they were in the Hebrides, uh, along with some of the other Saving the Blue team, like Gabby and Lily. And they're such an awesome bunch of people. Um, I don't think... I've ever met anyone more passionate about sharks and that's just so infectious. So after we were chatting and um, Annie mentioned that they collaborate sometimes with artists and would I like to? I was like absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so any excuse to draw more sharks right? Um, so <laughs> I did uh, a little piece on sharks based in the Bahamas Uh, so mostly hammerhead stuff and the other species that are working on like silkies and sawfish, Um, and then a proportion of the profits from those sales will go to support that organisation. That is usually the way you'll find with uh, charity organisations, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, There's quite a few that have those sort of collaborations, like you can check out the Manta Trust, you can apply to be a commercial supporter for Mm -hmm. them. I think find an organisation that you love and believe in and get in touch with them. I think most of them are, want to be supported.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it's definitely a two-way street. So yeah, if you're an artist and you're looking to work with people, I would start the conversation I'd get in touch with someone and tell them why you're interested and what they do and I don't think many of them would turn around and say no we don't we don't want your support.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I think that's um this is exactly the reason why I wanted to have you on as well is because shark conservation isn't just about being out in the field and uh-huh. you know conducting science and it's uh, there's also the communication aspect of that as well and the the imagery and art plays a huge part Mm -hmm. in that and we wouldn't really, our science wouldn't get anywhere if we didn't have people being engaged by things like art and by creative outlets. I think it's like, it's super, super important. But I'm just, I'm watching the time um, for you. So I'm just gonna bring it to a close, but it's mm-hmm. been fantastic to have you on and talk about yes. art and science and how they come together, and diving as well. Um, but one question I wanted to ask is, what is next for you? So,
1: mm-hmm. um, so over the next month or so, uh, I'm just getting myself organized because I have my first ever two exhibitions are on in November. <laughs> Which is very exciting. Um, So the Orica piece you mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. um, has made it through to the finalist for Explorers Against Extinction's Sketch for Survival competition. Um, And that will be... On in London from the sixteenth to the twentieth of November. If you would like to see it in person, I can say yeah. Um, and then that very same week, I'll also be in London for the Shark Trust's anniversary event. Um, I will be exhibiting an artwork there as well, so which can't say too much more about. But I'm really excited mm-hmm. for that. I think it's going to be an awesome event, and again, a really great opportunity to meet some shaggy people in person <laughs> and some of the other artists that will be there as well that I already know through the internet world so yeah. I'm really looking forward to that and then yeah hopefully the winter will give me a little bit of time to get some of those ideas that I've had on pen actually onto paper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's exciting though if
0: anyone is going to be at those events or has the opportunity to go please let us know um, and let Rachel know as well. Um, there'll be links, as always, there will be links to all of Rachel's socials and how to find her in the show notes of this episode. Um, but I have two last questions for you. Um, and my first one is, if there was one thing you wished people knew about sharks, what would it be?
1: I think we've already probably touched on that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're not creeping <laughs> <laughs> except maybe epaulet sharks are creeping
0: <laughs> a little bit but like they're, they're doing it in a cute way they're doing in a cute it in style way. it's yeah. very sweet
1: <laughs> um, no I think I would love people to know just how important sharks are how threatened they are and that they're really not to be feared I, I would love that perception to be changed um, and for people to see sharks in more of a positive light
0: I think your art is definitely helping to do that because there's so many people in the comments that are kind of like I didn't know the shark existed mm. or this is really beautiful and then they want to go and find more about more about it which is amazing so. um, and then the last question is usually if you could be any species of shark what would you be <laughs> but again you've already answered this so yeah. People can go back and listen to your answer in that episode. and
1: also committed. I've committed to being, <laughs> to being a whale shark. shark.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of people would like to be a whale shark. They live quite nice lives. They do, they do. Um, so I guess I'll change it again slightly. Um, and so I would be quite interested to know that if you could do, if money was no object and you yeah. could do any expedition for the purpose of art say Mm -hmm. you were going to go and draw something yeah um any species any part of the world what would it be
1: oh it's a tough one i think the galapagos has always been top of my bucket list Mm -hmm. both on land and in the water um and I already have a Galapagos-themed painting in my head, (laughs) so I just need to go and get some reference material. (laughs) But, um, no, I just love the idea of, like, imagine being on, like, the Beagle and Charles Darwin and going out there and drawing all those things for the first time. Like, how incredible. I wish that was still a job. If anyone would like to employ me to go to (laughs) unknown islands and draw wildlife... (laughs) I'm free for that. Okay.
0: (laughs) Well, that's out there in the world now. We're manifesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. But, yeah, that'd be incredible. I'd love to go to the Galapagos. One thing
0: I was going to say earlier is the old school drawings before Mm. people had travelled to see these things. And they were just listening to how people were describing them. Oh, hilarious. Have you like seen the early Baskin Shark during... Yes, it, yeah, and it's, it's got really like good. feet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they used to have
0: feet. You know, evolution. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like everyone as well used to think that like sharks were associated with predators on land. So a yeah. lot of the old sharks have like lions' <laughs> heads or like wolves' heads or something. They're That's so insane. bizarre. Yeah. They're so bizarre. <laughs> also, two favorite things. First favorite thing is like that kind of like the old school zoological drawings before yeah. anyone knew what anything was and how it looked and they were just best guess. Yeah. Um. And my second one is reconstructions of prehistoric marine animals. Oh. We'll go on um, a deep dive later.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. That's us for the night. <laughs> that's us for. The anyway,
0: before I go back on another tangent. Rachel it's been so lovely to have you back on thank you so much for coming on the podcast
1: thank you for having me back it's been such a pleasure
0: this podcast was brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation it was hosted and edited by me Isla Hodgson our beautiful artwork is by Nicola Poulos and the wonderful jingle you can hear right now is by David Knight A massive thank you to Rachel for chatting to us and for hosting me. You can find links to all her social media and where to find her work in the show notes of this episode. Please go and show her artwork some love. It really, really is beautiful. And a huge thank you to you at home for listening. If you like this episode, please let us know by leaving us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. We really appreciate it and it helps us to improve as well. This podcast is for you. So if there's any topics you'd like us to cover, guests you'd like to hear from, or you just want to say hi, you can let us know by emailing ila at savercs.com or by getting in touch on social media. We're on at Save Our Seas Foundation on Instagram or at Save Our Seas on Twitter. Alrighty, have a jawsome week and we'll see you next time.